This is a countdown. This is a podcast countdown. A podcast countdown of the top 35 prospects in the Cardinal system. We call it the Dirty 35. It's brought to you by Birds on the Black and Prospects After Dark. This is a song about prospects and counting down and bad writing. And wow, are you in for a treat other than just this song. Countdown! Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another round of our Dirty 35, mid-season Dirty 35 uh, podcast version of our written countdown. I am your host. I am Kyle Reese for Birds on the Black and Prospects After Dark. Tonight, we're going to go over Prospects 7 through 1. Uh, For those of you who don't know, if this is the first version of this that you're listening to, we have four other podcasts available to you. Uh, We recap Prospects 35 through 29, 28 through 22. 21 through 15, and 14 through 8. Uh, It's important for me at this point to say thank you so much for being a part of this journey with us. Thank you so much uh, for for taking part in this, for all the positive feedback. Uh, Thank you so much for giving me the energy, helping provide me with the energy to do this, and uh, I really hope that you guys are enjoying it. As always, if you have any suggestions, any thoughts, any feelings, you can hit me up on Twitter at KYLER416. Uh, my DMs are open. Please feel free to DM me if you prefer not to make your thoughts public. Uh, you can always email me too if that's not your thing at kyler416 at yahoo.com. Uh, I hope, again, I just hope that you guys are enjoying this. And I hope that I'm giving you a little bit of information here or there that might, uh, that might be eye-opening or fun or stupid or any of that stuff. Uh, and remember, have your own opinions about this stuff. Uh, I, I said it a couple different times in a couple different tweets, but... You know, I think sometimes we get caught up a little too much in the order of like who's number one, who's number ten, who's number thirteen, who's number seven. Uh, when in reality, like the prospects pretty much break down into tiers. Not not necessarily the tiers that I have, uh, but they break down a little bit differently. You know, we we know that prospect one on our list, which is Dylan Carlson, prospect two on our list, which is Andrew Kisner. And prospect three on our list, Nolan Gorman, are three prospects that have tremendous value. Now, you could almost argue that all three of them are going any order, but they have value that the others in the organization don't have. Not just yet, and of course, their value could diminish in time. But sure, I have Carlson one, I have Kisner two, I have Gorman three. Uh, we'll get into those guys here in a little bit. But it really doesn't matter what order they're in because they all have the same value type. Kisner is a little different now because he's on the 40-man. That changes things, uh, what other teams can do with it, and so on and so forth. But, you know, then you have four through, I would argue, ten. And four through ten all have the same kind of, like, value area. Uh, Sure, you could put them in any order, and, and it all kind of makes sense. There really isn't a whole lot of arguing you could do. So all I'm saying is, this is my list. And I respect anyone who has to do this list. Uh, it's not an easy task to undertake. Uh, and just remember that, you know, have your own list, have your own feelings. Don't be ashamed of them. Uh, don't think that they're right. Don't think that they're wrong. Just remember that, uh, you know, be smart about it. And, uh, you know, like I said, I just give everyone credit for having to do it. And that's my preamble to talking about our uh, our top seven prospects for the midseason Dirty 35. Prospect number seven on our list is outfielder Randy Arozarena, 24-year-old Cuban prodigy. Uh, so Randy, we all love Randy so much. And Randy loves baseball. But Randy has to play baseball a lot because that's the only way that he can support his family. Now, I, I don't know the exact details, uh, but what I do know is Randy has a young son at home, and I believe he's the only one who can provide for his son. So. Since the Cardinals signed him, and even before the Cardinals signed him, in the winter and summer leading up to when the Cardinals signed him, uh, he was playing baseball to afford uh, a life for his family. And because of this, uh, Cardinals signed him to like a $2.5 million signing bonus or a one point something. You cut that in half after taxes, then the money goes to the agent and blah, blah, blah. He had a nice little signing bonus, money that I'll never see or understand. Uh, not trying to take that away, but then he comes in the majors, or comes to the Cardinals, rather, part of their minor league system, can only make $6,600 in a year, uh, and 
because of that, he has to play nonstop baseball. Uh, from 2016, he goes from playing in the Mexican League, then the Mexican Winter League, then spring training, then the regular season in 2017, uh, then fall 2017, and then the regular season in 2018, then fall in 2018. Uh, he's played baseball nonstop for almost two and a half years. He got off to an amazing start in spring training, uh, and he, he broke his hand, I think. It was either hand or wrist. I always get this mixed up. I think he broke his hand. Uh, I bring all that, that extra information up because he missed the first month of the regular season. And when it happened, of course we're worried. We don't want any prospect to miss developmental time. But we felt confident that this would give Randy the first chance in almost three years to get a little rest from baseball. Remember, practicing, prepping for baseball is different than competitive action. He's been playing competitive action for three years. And lo and behold, what do we have? We have Randy Rosarena breaking back out as a prospect. We're seeing him perform like he did in 2017 at the Palm Beach and Springfield levels. He's playing dynamically. Uh, Mr. Mozeliak has made a point to say that they've moved him to center field hoping, and he's played center field before, he's mostly been a corner outfielder in the system, but he's played center, but they've tried to move him to center field every day from Memphis with the hope that he takes to it and proves that he can do it and they can get him to the major leagues and have him as a major league option in center field. Uh, We'll see what happens there. There is a logjam of outfielders in the organization, a logjam of outfielders in the 40-man. Anything could happen if he keeps hitting. Uh, I'm sure the Cardinals will make a spot for him, especially if he can handle center. But, you know, the gist when it comes to Mr. Orozarena is that he's doing everything well now. He's working counts. He's getting his pitch. He's taking the pitch and the opposite, uh, breaking pitches on the opposite corner uh, to the opposite field. He's, he's doing everything that you hope for. He's not walking out a ton. He's striking out maybe just a little too much, but not an alarming rate either way. Not in an alarming way either way, I should say. He's playing a really good center field, uh, playing a really good corner outfield, a better corner outfield uh, than center. His arm is strong. It's in the second tier of the organization. It's Dylan Carlson-esque. It's not uh, Jag-esque. We know that. When we talk about Randy, he became popular. or His name hit the mainstream when he turned uh, a pop-up on the infield into a, a triple. And that kind of gives you an idea of how smart of a player Randy Rosarena can be. Now, that also comes with a little caveat about Randy, and this is the kind of stuff that you don't see in games, you don't see in the highlights, is he also takes some chances and some risks that get him in trouble every so often. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, you'll see him slide past a bag. You'll see him round a little too hard around a bag, and the ball will be thrown behind him for an out. It doesn't happen a lot, but it happens a little too frequently. Like... If it happens twice in a year, that's too frequently. If it happens once in a year, it's too frequently. The fact that it even happens at all is a bit of a concern. Uh, it's just little things like that that he does. That applies to the outfield, too. You know, he doesn't ever overthrow the cutoff, man. He doesn't ever throw to the wrong base. It's nothing like that. But he does get weird reads out in the outfield every once in a while. If he's in the corner, the, especially in right field, the ball slicing away from him, uh, the, right-handers, the right-handed hitting slice away from the right fielder down the line, he struggles with that a little bit. Uh, if he's got a backpedal on a ball, things get a little weird too. He he kind of slows himself down instead of getting to the spot. It is he kind of he'll turn himself around a little bit. That we're seeing that in center field a little bit too. Uh, you know what I've always said about Randy is he seems like the prototypical left fielder. Like he he gets the best he gets his best reads with the ball slicing away uh, in left field. Uh, it just seems to really he seems to read those balls better than anything else. Uh, I I think if he were to come up right now and play center field, we'd all be okay and happy with it. I don't think we'd see anything where we'd be too alarmed. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. You know, of all the players in the Cardinals organization, the one I get asked why isn't he at the major league level right now is Randy Arozarena. Some you know he's hitting almost 400 at Memphis, entering Sunday night's action. Uh, he's just really impressive, and he's good, and he's healthy. And he recovered amazingly from the hand issue, and he's rested. And the Cardinals would do well to get him on the 40-man so that they can actually pay him and not force him to play in a winter league uh, and reap the benefits of a well-rested Randy Rosarena. This is something we've been talking about for years with Randy. Randy would get a couple days off in the minor league level after struggling, get a couple days off, and then blow up again. That's just Randy Rosarena. He needs a little rest here and there. It also goes to show you how all major league players, all players in general, need a little bit of rest, and it's always good to work it in uh, where possible. You know, shout-out to Yadier Molina. Uh, So that's prospect number seven. We love him with all of our heart. His name 
is Randy Arozarena on the cusp of a 40-man addition to the major leagues. Speaking of being added to the 40-man uh, during the 2019 season, prospect number six on our list is utility infielder Tommy Edmond. Uh, look, uh, Cardinal fans have fallen in love with Tommy Edmond. He, he isn't walking at the major league level yet. That'll come with more bats, I promise you. Uh, he's, he, we're seeing how he's tough as nails, hitting some dramatic, you know, he's been successful in some dramatic situations at the plate, uh, both left-handed and right-handed, the switch hitter. Uh, he, he's just, there's nothing that, he's unflappable. There's nothing that like moves this kid. There's nothing that, uh, that's tough for this kid. You know, he just does everything really well. He plays second, he plays short, he plays third. He hasn't played short yet in the majors, uh, but I believe that to be his best defensive position. He's made some good plays at third, although that's his weakest position. Uh, and I think if you were to ask anyone, they would say that more than likely his best opportunity is at second. Again, I still view him best defensively as a shortstop. Uh, but, you know, Paul DeYoung's there and he's pretty well anchored there. I just feel more comfortable with him. Like, you know, Jairo Munoz is a pretty... Uh, uh, below average shortstop and it's nice to have someone like Tommy Edmond who can actually play the position uh, for an extended period of time if you needed it if Paul DeYoung got hurt now the one thing about uh, Tommy Edmond again he got off to a hot start and was hitting some home runs and some dramatic home runs and some dramatic doubles uh, but if we're going to be realistic he's not the savior of the organization he's a really really great utility player he's uh, he's the best version of Daniel Descalso. He's the best version of David Eckstein. He's the best version of Greg Garcia. Uh, and because he hits well from both sides of the plate, he presents another interesting option that makes him even more of a long-term viability. Uh, you know, Tommy Edmond is a six to 10 year major league veteran who's going to have WRC seasons. He's gonna produce runs slightly above the league, the league average level. Uh, depending on how he's used and deployed, that's going to be the most important thing. Uh, you know, Tony La Russa would be able to match up this kid really well to optimize him. That's something that Mike Schilt's going to have to do. He's going to have to be smart about. When Matt Carpenter was on the DL, Tommy Edmond was getting plenty, plenty of time. Since we returned from the All-Star break, Matt Carpenter's back in the lineup. Tommy's time is being cut down just a little bit. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, again, the Cardinals need to be smart about getting this young man at bats. And if they're not, he needs to go back down to Memphis. I love Tommy Edmond, and I couldn't decide exactly where to put Edmond on this list, or even if I was going to put Edmond on this list. And, you know, sometimes I personally get caught up overthinking where somebody who has already made Major League debut and a Major League impact should, should fit. But the reality is Tommy Edmond deserves to be the sixth best prospect in the organization with the eligible players. Because he's been really good at Springfield. He was, you know, two years ago, he was really great at Springfield. He was one of the best players for the Cardinals in spring training, which means absolutely nothing. And then this year, he was one of the best players, one of the most sure players, one of the smartest base runners we talk about. He can steal bases, and, you know, he knows when to do it, how to do it. He gets good jumps. He's a sure-handed fielder that you feel comfortable with making all the plays. We see him diving around at second. We see him getting squared up to balls at second, moving around. Uh, he's taken such tremendous steps in two years to make himself the best pro that he's capable of being in the moment. And I still think that there's more in the tank. Uh, you know, in the write-up I said, or on Twitter, one of the two, that Tommy Edmond has a 115 WRC plus season in him. There's one in there. And he's also going to be, like when you look at his career 10 years down the road, he's going to be right at a league average run producer. You know, that 98 to 102 range. That's like, that's the type of player he's going to be if deployed properly. Maybe a little bit more than that, maybe 105. He's not going to strike out too much. Those walks will be there. Uh, he's not the patient, overly patient hitter that Greg Garcia is. Uh, he has more pop than Garcia does. He has Descalso-like pop, uh, which we saw, you know, manifest in Arizona and He's just a really, really solid player. He's a type of player that you need on your roster because he allows you opportunities, chances, matchups. And you have, like, when you look at the Cardinals organization, you look at what they have, like, we, we've talked about this. Uh, prospects uh, uh, 15 through 21 are, are high upside prospects. They're high upside, but there's also a lot of volatility in their development. Uh, you know, it's... He deserves to be the sixth best prospect, to be rated the sixth best prospect in the organization because he is going to be a major leaguer. He's going to be a major leaguer for a while. 
and his value, why, again, he's not going to have huge value. Like, you can't trade him for Mike Trout. Uh, he He's going to have really, really average value. He's always going to be valuable to the Cardinals because of his skill set. Uh, it's like, you know, pitching, pitchers always have value. Like, even when they're hurt, they always have value. Even when they're not doing particularly well, unless they're older, they always have value. And this type of player... Uh, this Tommy Edmond, the Tommy Edmond that we're seeing now, will always have value. Every team needs this type of player, and the fact that he's a switch hitter really makes him that much more interesting. And the fact that he still is getting better, uh, and he's smart, and he understands the game, and he's unflappable. Like the intangibles are there, the skills are there. He can motor. Uh, base running smarts are there. Fielding smarts are there. Understanding how he's going to be worked will come. At the major league level, he just needs more seasoning there. So hopefully he gets the at-bats to do it. But that's prospect number 16, utility infielder Tommy Edmond. Uh, I'm so happy that he's at the major league level. I'm really happy that the Cardinals added him to the 40-man. And my hope is that Mr. Edmond gets a chance to prove to everyone that, uh, that he is that uh, slightly above or right at league average run producer uh, with proper usage. Uh, we're just going to have to wait and see on that. But that's prospect number six. Utility infielder Tommy Edmond. Prospect number five on our list was our former number one prospect in the preseason on the Dirty 35. It's third baseman Aliris Montero. Again, I am butchering his first name. Uh, I'm so, so sorry about that. I'm such an asshole. I'm going to try to say Montero. Uh, stay away from his first name. But, uh, you know, you'll look at Montero's numbers and you'll see he was getting just beat up at Springfield before his first IL stint. And the IL stint was because of a wrist injury. Uh, it cost him 25 days, and then he came back. But he was getting beat up. But then when you break those numbers down, uh, I think he played 18 games before his 25-game DL stint. The first six games, he was terrible. And, like, his first 31 at-bats, he struck out almost 40% of the time, was not hitting the ball with authority, wasn't getting on base. But then you saw this young man who is big-bodied and tremendously adaptive start to adapt. Now, he wasn't actually destroying the baseball or anything, but he was hitting for a little bit of slug, started hitting for power, uh, getting on base a little bit more, striking out substantially less over that time period. His strikeout rate was right around 20 for his last 12 games before going on the DL. He was putting it together. Uh, he was over-aggressive. I, I watched every single one of his at-bats before the IL. It's really important to me because I love Montero, and I think that Montero is a premier prospect. I, I think that he's a premier prospect. I think he's a top 100 prospect when he's healthy. But I went back and watched, and you could actually see his philosophy change. You could see him adapt to the pitching uh, and also adapt his approach. We saw it in Peoria last year, too, at the beginning of the year. Montero is over-aggressive uh, sometimes. He's looking for the pitch. He's hunting for the pitch. But once he slowed himself down and acclimated to the league, you could see him being that hitter that we've seen in the past, the, the kid who should have been number one on the Dirty 35, the kid who was number one on the Dirty 35. Uh, the adjustment was coming. He misses 25 games because of a wrist injury. It was only supposed to be a short stint. The wrist didn't heal right. Comes back, lights the world on fire uh, for the first four games. Then... You can see over his next three games, like, even when you're watching his swings that he just didn't have it, something was off. It turns out he has a broken hamate. Uh, at the, this was discovered at the end of May. It takes about four, six, eight weeks to recover from that. So you're talking about maybe uh, Montero coming back at early August, uh, probably at the earliest. Before we get into his prognosis for the future... I want to say that what's really impressed me the most about Montero is how well he's handled third in that short stint at, and, and his short healthy stint at Springfield. Everything about Montero tracks so that it's Albert Pujols at third base. You know, for those of you who don't remember 2001, 2002, Albert Pujols playing third base, it wasn't great. It wasn't awful. Uh, he made the plays that were hit right at him. Uh, every once in a while, he'd come up with a ball, and you'd be like, wow, maybe there is more in there. And then every once in a while, you'd be like, what the hell was that? Uh, 
That's Montero. That's Montero at third base. Now, Montero, I don't remember Pujols' arm at third base, but Montero has kind of a hand cannon. One thing that Montero does really well is come in on the baseball. You know, he, he moves to his left a little bulky, goes back on baseballs maybe in a weird way. Uh, one thing that really impressed me so far this year is the aggressive nature. He wasn't letting baseballs play him. He was going to get the baseballs, which is which does well for him because he's so good charging in on the baseball. So, uh, you know, I think right now Montero could play third base uh, if he continues on this on this developmental path. He's going to be able to play third base for a limited time. Eventually, they're going to have to find another spot for him, just like they did with Albert Pujols. And again, I'm not comparing him offensively to Pujols. He's not a Hall of Famer. He's not going to be a Cardinal Hall of Famer. Uh, he has a potential to be a starter for many, many years. Uh, if his bat continues on this course, if his defense continues on this course... Uh, but that's that's Montero as a third baseman. There's still some issues. Still gets a little clunky. Uh, I view him as like Matt Carpenter-esque. And I know some people view Matt Carpenter as a terrible third baseman. I know some people view him as a good third baseman. And I would imagine that if Montero was at the major league level, when he gets to the major league level, there's going to be a lot of that type of conversation going on as well, uh, depending on how you view success, I guess. Uh, Montero's future. With missing as much time as Montero has missed, and the Cardinals needing to make a 40-man decision on him, expect to see Montero go to the Arizona Fall League. I, I'm willing to go all in on that. Uh, it makes sense. Look, Montero's going to be added to the 40-man. I can't imagine the Cardinals not... And we'll see what happens. Again, he could come into August and look terrible and completely tank some of his value, and then you could definitely see a team not be, you know, be unwilling to draft him uh, uh, in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, but I would assume that Montero finds his way into the 40-man, and I would also assume, and again, we'll see, that uh, uh, he's in the Arizona Fall League. So at least he'll be able to get some at-bats in preparation for 2020 if he doesn't get back to the Springfield roster soon enough. Uh, and that's prospect number five, our former number one. one. Again, I love this kid. And if he was healthy right now, I swear he'd be in that first tier that we talked about, one through three. I'd be willing to bet that I'd, be, I'd have it Carlson, Montero, Kisner, and then Gorman. Uh, do not underestimate Montero. Do not do it. Even though he got off to a terrible start in the first week of Springfield, uh, and even though he's hurt right now, and even though he's probably going to have a little tough time getting it going uh, when he eventually comes back. Uh, at this point, at this point in his development, at this point in this season, it's not even really about what happens when he comes back. If he comes back, it's about getting him prepared for 2020. It's prospect number five, uh, uh, Alaris Montero. Prospect number four on our list is Ryan Helsley, uh, right-handed pitcher. Could be a reliever, could be a starter. I guess it just depends on what day of the week or what hour of the day it is. In the article, I go on a diet. I go ranting and rambling and exactly what I'm going to do right here where I talk about how mishandled Ryan Helsley has been uh, up, down, up, down, up, down, not used for a week, used back-to-back days, uh, never been used back-to-back days. Now, it's one thing, let me put it this way, and I, I feel like this probably sums it up the best with Ryan Helsley. Ryan Helsley has a truly elite arm. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean, like, it doesn't mean he's an elite pitcher, but he has an elite arm. And when you have that tool, you don't abuse that tool, uh, especially when that tool missed all of, uh, half of last season, rather, the last half of last season was shoulder fatigue. You find a plan for this player, and you stick to it. You adhere to it. Now, again, circumstances in the major league level dictated that Ryan had to get to the major leagues and pitch out of the bullpen. I was fine with that. Uh, but then when he was sent back down to the minors, they had the intent of using him as a multi-inning reliever. And that was okay at first, but then they brought him up to the majors, and they didn't use him. They didn't use him. He pitched like three times in 14 days or something like that. Got sent back to the majors, or the minors rather, with the intent of stretching him out. They start stretching him out. Uh, they call him back up to the majors before he can get fully stretched out. And then sits on the major league bench for a week. And then for the first time in his life, First time in his career, because he did it in spring training, I take that back. But the first time in his career, he pitches back-to-back days in Chicago against the Cubs. Uh, pitches well, and then pitches three times in five days for the first time in his career as well. Uh, and then you know what happened? Another IL stint, fatigue-related. None of this is rocket science. It's all very clear. This is a, like any a public defender that is did not get a law degree could make this case. It's not confusing at all. Now, 
Helsley's marching his way back. Uh, he's back down in Memphis. He's pitching. It hasn't looked the same. He doesn't look like they have the same command. His stuff is still sharp, but he's not commanding it. Uh, that's a concern for me. I hope he's healthy. I hope he's ready to go. Uh, as you guys know, look, the, the, the trio of Randy Rosarena, Andrew Kisner, and Ryan Helsley, that does it for me. They're my three favorite prospects. I love all three. Uh, I've loved them since I entered the organization. Uh, they're the three that I've had the strongest opinions about. Uh, not named Paul DeYoung. If you guys will remember, when I first started writing about this stuff, I was trying to tell everyone that Paul DeYoung would be a very good major leaguer. I thought he was fine at short. At, at, immediately, I thought he'd stick at short. Uh, that's how I feel about Kisner. That's how I feel about a Rosarena. And that's how I feel about Helsley. Look, these are three guys that are constant major league impactful players. Uh, as long as they're handled properly. Uh, we'll get to Kisner here in a second. But... Uh, they need to be handled right, and and Helsley isn't, and now there's fatigue issues, and his stuff is so good, you know, he has an average cutter that gets flat sometimes, but his his changeup can be well above average, his curveball can be well above average, and his fastball, especially out of the bullpen, is a plus-plus pitch, uh, and it's just a plus pitch pitching out of the rotation. The, what I'm saying, I guess what I'm pleading for more than anything is the hope that Ryan Helsley gets treated properly because that's in the best interest of the St. Louis Cardinals and Ryan Helsley. At this point, if he's not recovering uh, well enough to be a starter, put him in the bullpen. But now's the time to make the decision, and it needs to be made right now, and they can't keep jerking him around because that's bad. It's bad. They're they're on the precipice, the precipice of a potentially like devastating thing there, and they need to handle it as appropriately as possible if it isn't already too late. But look, Ryan Helsley's an elite arm and a well above average talent and my favorite prospect. Uh, here, in a, here in a year, Helsley's going to be off the list. Uh, Kisner's going to be off the list. Anna Rosa Reina's going to be off the list. I'm going to have to find a new triumvirate of prospects to get really excited about. I think I already have them earmarked, as a matter of fact, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. And that's Ryan Helsley. Look, you guys have seen it. You know how deadly he can be, uh, how amazing he can be. And hopefully we get to see that for a long time, uh, whether it be in the Cardinals rotation or in the bullpen. Prospect number three on our list uh, is Nolan Gorman, third baseman. I'm going to start with the defensive side of Nolan Gorman first. Look, uh, there are times when Nolan Gorman looks substantially well, well above average at third base. And there are times when 19-year-old Nolan Gorman looks like a 19-year-old playing at advanced levels in the minor leagues, which is to say, it's not always good. Uh, you know, he's doing a better job of getting himself in front of baseballs. Sometimes he gets a little ole to the left, ole to the backhand. Uh, you know, I guess I'm left-handed, so I'm speaking backwards, but he'll get a little ole on the backhand and a little ole on the front, uh, front hand, kind of swiping at balls. His arm is a really, really strong arm that sometimes he won't, he doesn't use proper footwork, so he'll sail a ball down the line. Uh, other than that, there is reason to believe that Nolan Gorman will be able to play third base every day for a long period of time. He just needs to get more consistent. This is not something we are worried about right now. Let him get the consistency. He's at Palm Beach right now working with Jose Okendo on a near daily basis. It'll come together. Uh, ignore the... Uh, the fielding percentage, ignore the errors, all that stuff is somewhat arbitrary anyways. Uh, just know that he's working and he is getting better. He was, uh, well, he's he was substantially better at the beginning of this year than he showed at the end of last year. That's a positive. Now, there are some things that were very interesting to me during his time at Peoria. Uh, first off, he seemed to struggle in the field when he was struggling at the plate. That's something worth keeping an eye on. Uh, before we get into Peoria, too... The question was, when would Nolan Gorman get promoted and where would it be? I think most people thought that it would be right about now, uh, uh, you know, the beginning of July, and then we go to Springfield. I was kind of tipped off that it would be Palm Beach and it would be right after the All-Star break, uh, the Midwest League All-Star break, and that's exactly what happens. Or what happened, rather. I have to tell you, I'm a little worried about that. Uh, Nolan Gorman wasn't exactly good after May 1st for Peoria. And the Cardinals had a predetermined date and a predetermined design for him uh, to get him to Palm Beach. And they didn't sway off of that. They kept that on the timeline. And that's a concern for me. He could still, he should still, this is my thought, he should still be in the Midwest League. He should still be getting reps in the Midwest League. Uh, and 
earning the promotion to Palm Beach instead of it being scheduled. Now, I'm not going to say he didn't earn the, the, the promotion to Palm Beach. He really did. And, you know, it's tough for someone like him because teams don't give him anything to hit. You know, we talked about it in the article. At the beginning of the year, he was getting a steady diet of breaking pitches on the outside corner. And when he was lighting the world on fire, he was just waiting. He was waiting for those pitches to creep over the middle of the plate, and he was destroying them. And he would jump on fastballs. And then what happened about the mid-early part of May is teams started changing things up. And instead of living on the outside corner, they started hitting him in and hitting him, not hitting him. They started throwing him inside and throwing him a lot of breaking pitches inside. And you would see Gorman start chasing pitches in the dirt. You could tell he was really struggling with change-ups, too. And he, he struggled against left-handed pitchers, as you would expect from a 19-year-old seeing, you know, full-season-level left-handed pitching. Hold on, I'm going to get a drink. And that's been true at Palm Beach as well. Now, it has been great. Over the last couple of games, Gorman is starting to reincorporate power. He had back-to-back home run. He had back-to-back games with a home run. This is going to come. Look, Nolan Gorman is a type of hitter that's going to be streaky. Now, it's just a matter of how the, the peaks and valleys look uh, for frequency purposes uh, moving forward. But because of the high K potential, uh, the walk potential, and the big swing, there's going to be times where he's super, super streaky. I think this is something that we are going to see out of Tyler O'Neill at the major league level as well. This type of hitter... That's kind of their MO, and it usually takes them a little bit longer to develop. Uh, They usually have early success at the minor league, the low minor league levels, and then they usually hit a little bit of a lull at the high A, double A level. Uh, I've said it in the past, there is so much about the prospect that Nolan Gorman is that reminds me of the prospect that Tyler O'Neill was when Tyler O'Neill was in Seattle. You know, people forget that Tyler O'Neill was a Double A MVP. He, I, he either won or almost won uh, the Southern League cr- uh, Triple Crown. Uh, th- Nolan Gorman's going to do something like that. He's still going to have a high strikeout rate. He's going to walk, uh, but it's going to take this type of hitter who strikes out a little bit more a little extra time to develop every aspect of his game. You know, we're seeing it with Tyler O'Neill now. He's finally starting to put it all together at the major league level, uh, what he would show at the minor leagues. And the reason is because there's a big hole in his swing, and he has to learn how to control it. And now that O'Neill's controlling it, he's starting to show better. The same thing will happen with Gorman. And it's, you know, it's kind of a bummer that he was so effective because it sped up our own expectations of him. He's going to be good. He's going to put up good stats this year, next year, the year after before he makes the major leagues. But the stats do not indicate that he's ready for the major. The stats might, let me rephrase that. The stats might indicate that he, he's ready for the next step, the next, the next challenge. Uh, but when you watch the game, you know that he just isn't ready yet. And that's not a knock on him. It's actually really impressive uh, where he's at as compared to similar age talent throughout all of baseball. You know, uh, our number one prospect is Dylan Carlson. You already know that. When you think about it this way, as a 19-year-old last year, Dylan Carlson. Uh, so he, now, Dylan Carlson was 19 all of last year at Palm Beach pretty much. Started the year in Peoria, but was at Palm Beach for everything after April. Uh, and then the year before, he was at Peoria as an 18-year-old. And that's like those the juxtaposition of the development of those two is very very interesting because what's Dylan Carlson he he is an approach player he doesn't walk out he doesn't strike out a lot he walks plenty his approach was next level now they're both smart kids they're both baseball rats they both have high IQ they're both dedicated to the sport you know Gorman started the year at 18 he's 19 now next year he'll be 19 turning 20 uh and, and what I'm trying to say above anything else is they're kind of they're on the same track and Gorman hits for more power but will strike out more and it just goes to show you that it just takes a little bit of time like at these advanced assignments Dylan Carlson it took him all of the year at Peoria to start getting it together it took him all of the year at Palm Beach last year to get it together and now he's at Springfield dominating becoming the number one prospect in the organization this is going to be the case of Nolan Gorman he's going to struggle this year and then get it together. And he's going to struggle next year and get it together. There's going to be times where he looks like he has it and there's going to be times where he looks like he's a million miles away. It's going to come. They're just too special. Of Both of those guys are too special of talents for it not to. But because of the swing and miss capability of Nolan Gorman, 
Uh, we need to be more patient. Like right now, we are calling for Dylan Carlson to be in the major leagues, and honestly, he'd be able to handle it. I have no doubt about it, but that's because of his approach. Uh, he would never embarrass himself. Nolan Gorman would never embarrass himself except for the fact he would strike out a lot. Uh, so I, I, there's a lot to talk about there, a lot to digest. I'm all over the place there. Uh, but uh, to recap, number prospect number three, Nolan Gorman, he's going to stick at third. I feel confident of that. He just has some things to work on, especially mechanically. Hopefully he's getting that guidance from Jose Okendo now that he's a member of the Palm Beach Cardinals. Uh, don't invest too much in what's going on with his stats, especially now that he's at Palm Beach. That's a tough hitting environment, the Florida State League. We know that, especially Roger Dean Stadium. That can be a really tough hitting environment. It can also be an aggressive hitting environment, depending on how the wind is swirling and pushing. Uh, and remember that because of his big swing and miss potential, which has already started to show signs of getting better, there's a little extra time needed for him to develop. Uh, I love Nolan Gorman exciting kid and you know it's going to be interesting to see what happens ahead of him and it's going to be interesting to see how he continues to adapt as such a young man at such playing in such advanced levels uh, and that's prospect number three third baseman 19 year old Nolan Gorman brings us to prospect number two catcher Andrew Kisner the NC State uh, product uh, so look you guys know the deal with Kisner. Uh, there was a concern that maybe he wouldn't be able to stick a catcher. There's, uh, you know what, that's really the only concern with him. Well, now that you think about it, Kyle, that, that's really the only concern with him. The only concern was that he wouldn't be able to stick a catcher. 2017 Andrew Kisner looked like a catcher. And then 2018 Kisner got a little weird. Uh, and 2019 Kisner looks like a catcher again. He's throwing out 40%, 40-something percent of base stealers. He has a really strong arm. He's doing a better job of blocking pitches in the ground. His framing has gotten better, although it still gets a little stabby, especially on outside pitches to lefties uh, and low in the zone. But he's a catcher. Like, he's a legitimate catcher. He's not Carson Kelly. Uh, again, we're seeing Carson Kelly have success in Arizona. Uh, defensively, in particular, that's not the catcher that Andrew Kisner is going to be. He's going to be a kick below that. Uh, but he's still going to be a catcher, and he's going to be very good. We also know that Andrew Kisner, what he does really well, and he hasn't done yet at the major leagues in his three games that he's had while being on the roster for 15 days uh, because he's pressing at the plate. Uh, what he does really well is he goes with the pitch. He gets a breaking pitch, he goes with it. He doesn't get overly aggressive early in counts. He gets properly aggressive early in counts, hunting for the pitch that he wants to do something with. Uh, with two strikes, he's hard to strike out. Uh, if, if, he's, if he's competent, if he's playing without pushing himself, uh, which, we again, we have not seen at the major league level, uh, he has surprise pop power that is starting to manifest a little bit more in a big way. Uh, again, tracking. He's got to play in order for that to continue to manifest. He has to get comfortable at the level. With Andrew Kisner, the bottom line is simple. Right now with Yachty on the DL, Andrew Kisner is up at the major league levels in what John Mazzella called a timeshare, but what Mike Schilt called a backup role. Uh, if you're going to have Andrew Kisner up here, he has to play every other day. He, he has to play 50% of the time at the very least. They have to get him comfortable hitting at the major league level where he is showing and demonstrating the type of hitter he is. Uh, what we've seen in the past with Kisner at, at advanced, when he gets promoted and also when he plays in uh, special leagues like the Arizona Fall League or in All-Star Games is he's just so excited and he wants to prove himself that he, he pushes outside of his own comfort zone in the box. Uh, and it, it always comes together and it always comes together really, really quickly. But remember, this is the major leagues and it's harder to settle in uh, when you're not getting reps. So, uh, you know... Andrew Kisner is a really great hitter with develop with power that is still developing, and we're not going to see it if he's not going to get reps behind the plate. Uh, we've also seen him catch Adam Wainwright now and get some of the best starts out of Adam Wainwright. And now, granted, there's Sunday starts, Sunday day game starts, uh, and those can be a little deceptive for various reasons, but we'll stay out of that for right now. Uh, it can be deceptive, but he's gotten... Three of Wayno's best starts this year, and that's a really interesting thing. I, I I love that. And you know, the other thing about Kisner is he's called his own game since his second year catching at NC State. He's a really good game caller. Now he gets in trouble sometimes because of his his pitch framing, which can be a little weird. Uh, but he under he understands the mental side of it, 
And I think that's part of the reason why he pairs up so well with Wayno. Uh, again, maybe the part of the reason with pairing up with Wayno is that it gives him the opportunity to like have somebody smarter and well-seasoned pitching to him. But uh, again, I, I think that that's a two-way road. Uh, other than that, look, Andrew Kisner is a solid player. Uh, if he were in any... Let's see. If Andrew Kisner was in uh, 60% of the other organizations, he'd be their starting catcher. Uh, the same could be said about... Carson Kelly one year ago and even the year before. So at least getting a 60% timeshare. But since Yadier Molina gets to dictate whatever happens with the catcher spot, that's not Andrew Kisner. Also, Matt Wieters is a very good backup. The, the Yadi Wieters thing is perfect, really, as long as that's being used right. And of course, that isn't because Yadi doesn't allow it. Uh, but Kisner is really damn good. And he's a catcher. And he hits the ball really well, and he plays really well, and he's a smart base runner who can go first to home on a, a, a in-between ball over a couple outfielders' heads. Uh, he's a smart base runner, a good base runner. He isn't super fast. He's fast enough. He's quick enough. Uh, he's he just – I mean, the, the thing that all of these players have in common in the top well, – let's say the top six is they're all elite baseball like thinkers, they all have the baseball IQ aspect. And Andrew Kisner is a genius. He's a smart kid, and he comes from an amazingly smart and aggressive family, like properly aggressive. Uh, you know, the go get your own uh, type of aggressive. And he just has the mind to be the best player. And I don't think that there's any coincidence here that the the top five hitters on the list. And Randy Rosa, right now, I'm going to keep out of this because it's a little different there. Uh, but the top five hitters on this list, Carlson, Kisner, uh, Gorman, Montero, and Edmund, are all next-level baseball thinkers. That's the type of player that sustains the major leagues. Uh, look, if, if Andrew Kisner doesn't get his chance to get proper innings and proper at-bats with the St. Louis Cardinals, if he ends up finding it in another organization, uh, it won't take, it'll won't take. it take two months, three months, and we'll be talking about Andrew Kisner like we're talking about Carson Kelly right now as an above-average major league catcher. Uh, and unfortunately, it won't come with the St. Louis Cardinals. My hope is that it does. My hope is that he gets every opportunity with proper reps uh, because he deserves it, and he's really, really good. He's really good, and uh, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. It, you know, In his future, maybe there is a third base. Maybe there is a little bit of time at first base. Uh, I don't know exactly how the Cardinals will handle it, uh, but he's got to get at bats, and it, it just needs to happen. Uh, and that's prospect number two, Andrew Kisner, catcher. Uh, I feel like I'm missing something vital with Kisner. I don't know exactly what it is, uh, but uh, he's talented, and he deserves to jump Nolan Gorman because of where he's at in his career and because of the approach. Uh, you know, in the past, <laughs> I, was, I thought I was done with Kisner. In the past, Kisner walked a little bit more, but he didn't have the power that we're seeing now. And here in a year, that those are going to balance out. I have no doubt about it. Uh, they're going to balance out, and it's going to be amazing. And hopefully the Cardinals are reaping the the rewards of that. But uh, that's prospect number two, Andrew Kisner. Prospect number one on the list, outfielder, 20-year-old Dylan Carlson. Uh, what can't you say about Dylan Carlson? You know, he's he's Paul Goldschmidt. You know, he's not, he's not going to be an MVP candidate, more than likely. But he has the mind of Paul Goldschmidt. He can't get enough of baseball. You know, like... That's what he wants to talk about all the time. He, he just gets the sport. His IQ is through the roof. He, he has the instincts. Uh, he has the love, the passion, the smarts, the instincts. He's a great runner. He's a plus-plus athlete. He has a great arm. Uh, maybe the most impressive thing about Dylan Carlson is the Cardinals sent him out to center field this year at Springfield. Uh, and he was terrible out there to begin the season. And now here we are three months into the minor league season, four months into the minor league season. And he looks like an above-average center fielder. Uh, the instincts kicked in. The work. He's a hard worker. He's constantly, constantly improving himself in the craft. Constantly. He's dedicated to the sport. You know, he's getting bigger and stronger. Uh, again, just like with Paul Goldschmidt, he has that, like, sneaky build. Where you look at Paul Goldschmidt, he's close, fit him, kind of baggy, and you know he's a big guy. And you're like, well, he's not that big. But then when you look at him, you're like, wow, that guy's built like a damn muscular tank. Uh, that's the same thing with Dylan Carlson. He's gotten bigger. He's gotten stronger. In the article, I include a, uh, a tweet that I put out where if you want to know the main difference between 
Dylan Carlson this year and in prior years. Remember, as an 18-year-old in the Midwest League, as a 19-year-old in the Florida State League, there's a lot of like water waiting you have to do. Like you have to, you have to like those are tough, tough leagues. You ha- if you can hold your own in those at that age, which is what he did, it's really, really impressive. Uh, but you have to be a little bit more defensive instead of aggressive in order to have the success that he had. And now what we're seeing at Springfield uh, in more hitter-friendly leagues is we're seeing the word intent. He has the intent to punish pitchers from both the left and right side. Uh, he's hit some moonshots. He, he has a better understanding of when he can unleash his big swing instead of his defensive swing. He's swinging hard at everything. Uh, the confidence is there. Uh, you know, he's a great base runner. He has all the instincts. It's like, if you were to ask me what the downside is, it's just that he needs more seasoning. Like, everything is there. All of the tools are there. It's amazing. I, I said in a tweet earlier today that he is a lot like Jacoby Ellsbury. And it was just like the first thing that came to my mind, and there's there's probably a better comparison there. You know, maybe something more like Sin Su Chu. Uh, but what I mean is like, and he's not going to steal 60 bases. That's not what I mean. But, like, the power profile of a potential 30 home run season is in there. A, a potential top five MVP vote is there. A, a couple top 15, top 20 MVP votes are there. You know, getting a couple votes here and there. Like, that is that is in his future uh, if it's handled right. You know, uh, as I try to, like, reach, like, he could be a lot like Gregory Polanco. Like, I could see that, but being able to play and handle center field, uh, something like that. Like, that's Dylan Carlson. Again, I, the Gregory Polanco now I like better than Jacoby Ellsbury. Uh, but that's him. You know, the other thing to remember is it takes him just a little while to get going at a level, as you would suspect or even expect, <laughs> out of somebody as young as he is playing at these advanced levels. Uh, so just keep that in mind. Uh, that's somewhat of a defense mechanism. But once he feels like he's comfortable, he unleashes, and it's a thing of beauty. What his timeline looks like, I cannot tell you. Uh, I would suspect uh, that Marcelo Zuno won't be back in 2020, and I would think that he'll come to spring training with a chance to earn an everyday spot in the Cardinals outfield, depending on how the Cardinals outfield shakes with Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill and Dexter Fowler and Jose Martinez and Randy Rosarena and Lane Thomas and blah, 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 blah. But I would think that at some point next year, you're seeing Dylan Carlson play for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, and it would shock me if it didn't work out that way. And more than likely, he's at Memphis at the end of the year. Uh, and more than likely, he starts the year next year at Memphis. But he's a, look, he's a truly elite human being. He's a great, great kid. Uh, an elite-minded baseball player uh, with extremely plus athletic tools that is just putting it together in a beautiful, beautiful way. Uh, he says he's more comfortable hitting from, well, he doesn't say he's more comfortable from hitting from the right side. He feels comfortable hitting from both sides, but he feels like he has more strength in his right side because that's his natural side, although most of his power has manifested on the left-handed side. That's going to be something worth keeping an eye on. Really interesting. But, you know, he, he his dad is a great baseball coach. Uh, he's a great kid who grew up in some family situations, not like bad family situations or anything like that, but that allowed him to mature at a rate that most Teenagers, most 20-year-olds don't mature at. It's the perfect situation. You know, he's he's the hitting version of Jack Flaherty is what he is. You know, a potentially elite player with potentially elite skills that's beat a little bit of adversity to become a, like a supreme young man with supreme young talent. And uh, it's a matter of just continuing to let it all come together uh, in the proper amount of time. Uh, I love, love, love Dylan Carlson. And at this point, I can't even imagine a situation in which somebody would surpass Dylan Carlson as the number one prospect in the Cardinals organization. He's a top uh, top 50 prospect in all of baseball, no doubt about it. I'm sure that some of the other ranking systems will have him outside of the top 50, uh, but no doubt about it. Everything is coming together. This is the perfect, Dylan Carlson is the perfect case, the perfect example of reaching your developmental ceiling. And he's not nearly there, but he just continues to progress and progress and progress. And every aspect of his game progresses and gets positive and better and better and better and better. Uh, And that happens so rarely. Like, I don't know if there's any... I mean, Tommy Edmond, but I don't know if you could actually say that about every player on this list. He is that elite 
percentage, that elite, like 1% of minor leaguers that just continue to get better without having any other aspect of their game fall off in any capacity. And he's just special, and there's all-star games in his future. Uh, again, I, the whole MVP, he's not like, he's not, again, I, you know, you guys know me. I'm usually a little bit more pessimistic about the stuff. He has a, you know, he's not like a Cardinal Hall of Famer. That could, it could happen, but it's not like, bank on it. Uh, the potential is there. He, he's, you know, I'm just going to lay it out there. I think that, I think that uh, uh, Dylan Carlson is the most special prospect that the Cardinals have had that isn't pitching related since Oscar Tavares. Uh, I think he's better than Oscar Tavares was in both the field, and I think he's a better hitter than Tavares was. Now, again, I was, I was cold on Tavares. Uh, I, wasn't, I, I was not as high on him as a lot of other people were. Uh, but I do think that he is that elite level type talent uh, with all-star games in his future and uh, just a lineup you can build around. If, if this was two years in the future, Dylan Carlson would be the perfect number two hitter for this particular Cardinals lineup. He can handle the leadoff spot, uh, knows how to work a count. Uh, you just can't say enough about him. And if he continues, and you know, anything could happen in a player's development, but if he continues to show what he's shown this year and year after year uh, in the minor leagues, the, the Cardinals are going to be set in the outfield for at least six years, uh, whether it be at a corner spot or in center, because he can handle it all and he's so good. And I, I've gushed enough about him. But that's prospect number one, outfielder Dylan Carlson. Get excited about him. Uh, in the article, I say he is uh, Stephen Piscotty, a switch-hitting version of Stephen Piscotty with a higher ceiling. And, you know, I just said a lot of crazy stuff about All-Star games and MVPs and blah, 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 and Hall of Fame and blah, blah, blah. But take that. He is, he is Stephen Piscotty with a higher ceiling. Uh, and that is our number one prospect Dylan Carlson, outfielder, 20 years old. Uh, I want to say one more time, thank you everyone for being a part of this. Uh, this one was a little bit longer. I rambled on a little bit longer, but it is prospect one through seven, so I think they deserved a little extra time. Uh, thank you for reading the write-ups. I know that they're terrible. I hope you enjoyed them. I wish I was a better writer than I am, but I am the worst writer ever. Thank you for sticking with me. Uh, again, there's some theorizing that went on with this list. There's a little bit more thought that went into it specifically that I've never really gone over. Maybe we'll go over it a different day. I was very particular about where I put some people to kind of emphasize the current state of the Cardinals organization. Again, a conversation for a different day. Uh, but for everybody at Birds on the Black, everybody at Prospects After Dark, uh, I am Kyle Reese. If you are listening to this, you are part of the resistance. Uh, and as always, family, thank you so much for the constant and continued support. Uh, I love and am appreciative of each and every one of you. And uh, as always, happy hunting.